0: All right, welcome back, guys. We're here at another episode on the Guts and Grind podcast. Here with Saj. How you doing, buddy? Doing well, man.
1: Doing well, living the dream. Trying to find a deal in this market, dude. It's tough, but you know <laughs> they're out there. You just gotta gotta keep hunting.
0: Yeah, it's man. You know the interest rates are not helping. I'll tell you that. It's uh, that traditional financing route that we were blessed with. For the yeah. last 10 years, is, is kind of drying up in my in you, my eyes. You know,
1: it, it is drying up, but it opens up new opportunities, right? Like, yeah. I've been following Pace Morby, and he's talking about creative finance. I did one creative finance deal uh, earlier this year, and so I was like, okay, that worked. And so if I could do more of those, like, I feel like we should take advantage of the situation we're in, right? So I don't want to be like, woe is me, I can't find a deal. It's like, no, no, let's just reassess what can we do, what can we make happen,
0: right? You know what that brings up, Saj, is that... I think to us, you know, we're we're so creatures of habit, right? We're like, yeah, oh, we want this same thing over and over. I found this formula. I want to keep this thing going, right? Yeah. But in, in reality, what I'm learning as I get older is is that's not going to be the case all the time in everything, no. jobs, life, right? Like things are going to change and we have to be able to kind of pivot to those kind of situations. What's cool is on this episode, we actually interviewed James Stanicle and he's our guest on this thing. And I think we kind of highlight a little bit of that, I think from our kids standpoint, remember, I mean, yeah. I think, uh, like one of the fav- my favorite parts of it was, you know, if we built this wealth, right, we plan to give it to our kids. What if they don't want it, right? Like we right. have to adjust to that right like and so we in life right we have to kind of be ready to change because he also mentioned another great quote to me was you know if you're changing that means you're growing right like and when you stop changing that's where you stop growing right right so there's a lot of nuggets out of this week's episode i loved it oh yeah for those
1: that are about to listen it's a full episode a lot of information a lot of good stuff he touches on out of state real estate being a landlord out of state doing it independent not having property managers there's a lot of Really cool things that I was like, oh, that's really simple. And more than that is like the mindset that you need to approach this stuff, right? Like everyone can have different mindsets, but it's awesome to hear other people's perspectives, you know. Like, and so I mean it's just a very full episode. I think you're really gonna enjoy it.
0: Absolutely. And with that said, let's hand it off to James. We got James on the episode this week. You're listening to Guts and Grind with Siju and Sajin, making the real estate journey accessible to anyone. All right, thanks for joining, James. Welcome to the show. Hope you're doing well. And um, what's a little background on James Stanekle and how did you get into the real estate world?
2: Hey, thanks for having me. really a pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys because I'm sure we have a lot to share. So let's see now. Real estate has been sort of in my family for a very long time. I don't mean to say that I had some grant or something from my parents for years and years, and we're super wealthy. In fact, you know, I always think back to the sort of the humble beginnings, but my father, when he first came to the US, always kind of led by example. And one of the things he always said was, hey, in America, you need at least three jobs. And so he was always doing work and always working a couple different angles. And, you know, as a kid, you sort of don't realize what they do. But I would sort of question to myself, like, huh, my dad, you know, why is my dad putting a lawnmower in the trunk? And, you know, it turned out because he was, you know, while he was at work at the hospital, he was going on his lunchtime, with a lawnmower in in, in the trunk to go mow the lawn at one of the rental houses during lunch. When we would walk into these homes that weren't ours, and as a kid, you sort of don't understand that, but, you know, my dad would open the front door, just he opened our house, and we would go into this empty house and we would be fixing stuff and painting stuff. And you sort of start wondering, like, you know, why why are you doing this? And so over time, I realized that my dad was sort of taking all these measured risks with real estate. And you know, as a kid you sort of realize that you just take it for granted. You think everyone kind of grows up like that. And my father didn't necessarily say do this or 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 do that, but over time it just came this sort of normal thing where I would see him doing different things. And soon I even saw him doing some out of state real estate. And so that really drove me to, It's funny, you know, I laughed at myself as I self-respect, but I didn't pay attention to it. Only in looking back where I was able to realize what he was doing, why he was doing it, the struggle that he must have had for it. But that is kind of how I got into the real estate space. It was one of those things that just sort of happened around me at a small scale, single family homes. My father had, you know, under 10 doors under his name, um, probably at the max, but, you know, had out of state, had, had in state. Um, plenty of mistakes. We had plenty of times where I would meet tenants, and um, there'd be arguments and issues. You know, trying to kick people out because they weren't paying rent um, after giving them a long period of you know kind of understanding and things like that. It was one of those things that just was around me, never quite paid attention. But luckily, as I got older, I realized, oh, I need to pay attention. Start paying attention to why we're doing this, what we're doing this, and so I was able to catch a lot of it. And even though my father passed now, I was able to capture a lot of the essence of what he did and why he did it. And that's been such a blessing for me. And and I'm really happy to talk to you, other folks who kind of have a similar passion for real estate because I think it's one of the best ways to build wealth for your family and just have a lot of fun, frankly. Yeah. James, I, I want to
1: chime in a little. I just want to ask uh, two things. So do you have a, an idea of why your dad went that route for real estate? It's curious because in our community, there's a lot of uncles and aunties that went that route. My folks didn't. like. Later on, when we were older, they did like for just one property, a house that we lived in. And it was kind of an accidental, like, and we kind of forced them, like, please, let's let's make this a rental. But it seems like your your dad was just, hey, this is what we're going to do. Do you have any insight on that? Like, why was that a thing for him?
2: Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, I thought in my family, in my extended family, and I have a large extended family, who I love, um, we constantly got together and talked about finance. And I don't mean like spreadsheets, but I mean, like, we would all say like, what are you doing? What are you doing over there? What are you doing in here? We had cousins in different parts of, of the US and we would talk about money and how to make money and how to keep money and how to, you know, and the kids and all these other different things. They would trade these topics all the time. The funny part is I thought that was normal. I thought yeah. that was like the way everyone did it until I got married. And then in my wife's family, it's, they handle it differently. You know, they're all, they all do very well but they don't talk about it like my family did. And so right. I I realized that is one of the things that I definitely want to put out there is that people are scared to talk about finance, how much money they make, what their door count is or what they're working on, especially the losses. People always tell you the highlights they're scared is to share their losses. And I don't think that's over time. I realized that like being
0: humble and being open is actually a great way to grow and learn. When you share, people share. It's like the sort right. of symbiotic relationship. It's this world that we live in, right? It's that doing it for the gram kind of thing, right? And I, I love that you highlighted that, you know, it's not just the wins, but it's also the losses that people learn from, right? And that's what this show is for. And I love that you brought that up. But I wanted to ask, like, for the listeners, where, where were you guys heavily focused in? Or what, what area of the country did you initially invest in your dad? Or how did you kind of, you know, begin that? Where was that at?
2: Yeah, so right now I'm in Houston, Texas. But originally we were from uh, Queens, New York, and um, you know we, we were born in Brooklyn. No real estate in Brooklyn. I, there was some, but it was kind of so gone. But in Queens, my father had the opportunity to buy some small condo units. Actually, there were co-ops and for folks. You know, cooperative versus condo, different types of real estate. You know, condos you actually own the house, but maybe not the land. But cooperative, you own shares in a corporation of of uh, real estate, and so. He bought a couple of co-ops, he bought some single family homes, all in the Queens, uh, Queens, New York area. Then after getting comfortable with the idea, we had visited some places in Florida and he got comfortable buying a single family house there and also some condos there.
1: Let me pause you right there. Cause that's big, right? I mean, if you live in New York and you're investing in Florida, it's different now because like we have access to internet and we could reach people and things like that. How did he get comfortable making that jump. That's a big move, right? Like, I'm yeah. just now getting into the whole, you know, out of state real estate and like, how, like how yeah. I mean, do you <laughs> make connections? Like what's the story on that?
2: So it's so interesting you ask that because one thing I think that I, you know, education is big and I listen to every podcast and YouTube and book I can read about when it comes yeah. to real estate. But one thing that we don't talk about in real estate is like, when you come into real estate, subconsciously, all of us sort of take our risk meter We like put it on the table and then we like hit it with a hammer, so it goes away. We don't even talk about risk as much in real estate because there's risk in, you know, some people will find certain areas risky, but in real estate, what do we say? We say like it's a good deal. We never say that's um, a a less risky deal or whatever it is, but we always say, hey, look, that's a good deal. There's a ton of risk in a good deal, and so in real estate, you might say, you know, this is something that's good or risky or not risky. But uh, I feel like my dad over time, he just like broke his risk meter to some degree. He started it with different areas and different real estates. But overall, one of the things that I, I want to convey to a lot of people of my generation, especially the our the generation after us, is, you know, when our parents came from different places, from you know, Im- immigrants or even non immigrants but they had nothing to lose. They came here with like literally a dream and like hard work in, in their pocket. You know, like, you know, guts and grind is like such an apt name for the podcast because that's what they did. And so they had nothing to lose. And so in our generation, we tend to sort of protect what we saw our parents worked hard for. And so instead of taking risk, we protect it. And you don't actually make, you, you don't add to their wealth or add to their legacy because you're so worried about losing it, about you know yeah. risking it. And then our, our children's generation, they didn't see anyone work hard. They don't have that emotional attachment, so they will potentially burn it. They'll spend it. They'll do whatever because they don't have any attachment to it. It's money that they didn't work for. They didn't see it being worked for. And so they lose it. So one of the biggest things that I think that we can push to all our generations is taking risk. And that's, I think, why my dad, you know, he didn't know it, but he just wanted to succeed so badly. He was willing to push the barriers. And when he was able to do well with these other real estate projects in New York, he sort of just saw an opportunity because- he knew the prices in New York. And then when he saw the prices in Florida, to him it was like, oh, this is not a risk. I can get right. a house for you know eighty-five thousand dollars. You know, that's not a risk, you know, because um he was buying houses for you know triple that in New York. So right. for him it wasn't a risk, but you're right. It, it was a risk, but they have no concept. When you're grinding for that, you really have no concept of that. You're just moving forward and figuring it out as you go. Know. Sure. That's good, man. Because like, I mean, I guess
1: like what you're saying, it is perspective, right? Because in my perspective, it's like, if it's not in my backyard, how do I know it's going to be OK? Who's going to take care of it? What team do I have out there? Da, 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 da. And this is coming from someone that's in the game, that's doing it. You know what I mean? Like, and, and we have all yeah. the resources that we have. So like, when I think about our parents' generation and them doing it, that's that's a different beast, man. So, you know, kudos to your dad. Like, that's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like you said, our kids, right? I mean, to have that mentality of the grind, right? We don't know what what, what our kids were. I, I think some of that is, is, as long as you instill that early on, you hope yeah. that that they kind of hang on to that, right? And let them know that, hey, nothing's free in the world, right? Like nothing's given yeah. to them and you kind of have to work. And I think you have to be more creative now, right? I mean, at least our parents had the stability of like working for, you know, 30 years with a, with the same organization, things like that. But like now I feel like in this world, you have to be way more creative, right? So it's a different hard, but it'll, it'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. With real estate, though, what was the aha moment for you, though? Like, you know, I know your dad did it, right? I know your dad was in it. You saw him kind of do it. But what in James's head said, you know what? There's there's something there. I mean,
1: before you answer that, like just to piggyback on what did you saying, I see a lot of people where you see your parents do something, and you either you know latch onto it, but a lot of times you see people like that's not the life I want to live, mm-hmm. and so just to piggyback on that, like your dad kind of showed that real estate life, right? Like this is what it looks like, and as you mentioned before, as a kid you're like, why are we doing this? Why, you know, why are we going to this house? Why are we cleaning up this house that we
2: don't live in? Like what's going on? Right. So, yeah. So what was the aha moment for you? Yeah. And you're right. But let me me be clear. It's not because um, I was like so enlightened that I saw the light or something like that. No, I complained every minute. I complained every minute. We went to every house. And, you know, I would say what my kids say to me now, which is like, why can't we just pay someone else to do this? Why do we have to paint? You know, why do we have to fix this countertop? You know, I'm not handy, but I became very handy because my dad, who also was not handy, just you know, he didn't want to pay someone, he didn't have the money to pay someone. So he figured it out. And so, you know, I complained, complained, complained. And it's just funny how, you know, life laughs at you, because now my kids complain to me when I do the same thing to them. And I purposely do it to them. But you know, the aha moment, you know, frankly, it came over time, it wasn't one moment. But I remember the first time I bought real estate in my name, and it was a, you know, sort of like a real deal thing was, I had finished college, I think my undergrad at that point, and my dad had bought some condos in Florida and at the, the condo in Florida, it's like this sort of up and down when it comes to values, it goes really high up and then it comes really down really quickly and really up and really down. And that's sort of remaining in Florida. Although now it's got you know, really all time highs, but and the fun thing about Florida is rents continue just to diligently climb up. They don't really come down, they just diligently climb up. So that's why Florida is an interesting market. But um, I was talking about buying a car. I had already a, a car that I sort of foolishly bought you know, to look cool and stuff like that. And I was going to get another one or trade that in and get another one. And my father was like, hey, you can buy that car for, I think it was uh, at the time it was maybe like $45,000 or something like that. And my father's like, this is the time when there was a, a a dip in the market. And my father said, there are condos in Florida for $35,000, <laughs> a one bedroom condo for $35,000. Wow. And he was like, instead of buying a car, you idiot, buy the condo. It'll make you money. <laughs> And that was my father's favorite name for me, by the way, but (laughs) because he was right. I wasn't an idiot for a very long time, but, you know, he just pushed me to do it. And so he sort of guided me through it. And um, over time, you know, initially, like they're literally, it's funny, like the agent, again, you talked about no internet, there was internet, but he had been used to the agent literally mailed printed out pictures of the, of the unit. Like he printed it (laughs) on a black and white printer. It wasn't even color. He sent pictures, never seen it, never, never saw it. But you know, as a, you know, it's like some people have that relationship where when your dad says like, it'll be okay, you go, oh, I guess it'll be okay. You know, kind of thing. And um, you kind of have that faith. And then the problems came up certainly, but I I was able to deal with those things. And I started making the phone calls instead of my dad, right? And so I became comfortable over time. So that's really what allowed us to kind of go but it wasn't like it wasn't like an aha moment in the sense of one specific thing you did push me to buy that and that was the time where I said like oh I could do this and don't get me wrong and don't let anyone fool you when you're talking about real estate no matter how many doors you may have maybe after a certain point but I still get nervous I still have those feelings of um oh man, was this the right deal? Was this the right, you know, did I did I ask for the right thing? I think that's totally normal and natural and um, that's good. If you have those feelings, I would say is that's the right feeling. You're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. Yeah, so that's sure. the key thing, right? If you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. And if you should be uncomfortable when you're buying real estate for a very long time. This is kind of off script, but like it
1: seems like it's a family oriented type of business in, in your world. How do you see yourself teaching your kids about this journey? Is this something that you're going to like, hey, you need to do this because I've reaped the benefits of it? Or is it like, hey, watch and see and whatever you figure out, you
2: figure out. Like, What's your thoughts on that Like for the next generation? Great question. You know, I don't believe in anything happening. Certain things are caught, not taught in, in, mm-hmm. in the house, you know? And uh, I think things that get caught, I don't know, for me, it's it's more around like maybe like religious things or cultural things. I think some of those things are caught. But when it comes to this sort of concept, it's not just real estate. Frankly, you know, th- there's a great phrase that I say all the time to my kids. Uh, by I think it's Zig Ziglar who says like some people tell their money where to go, and other people wonder where their money went. And I think that's the most important thing that I try to push to my children because it's not just real estate, right? There's a stock market. There's like a wide range of, of, of investments that you can do, and I try to do them all uh, when when possible. But the one thing. I push to them is like, Hey, you got to take control of this. You got to know what's going on and you got to take risks and push that. And I just do that by very intentional, you know, they hate it, but I lecture them. I push them. I do it by example, but I also just lecture and just keep on reinforcing the same thing because I, I know one day, just like probably, you know, other folks who are listening or watching that voice sort of echoes in your head and I'm just mm-hmm. Spring that one of those times will echo
0: in their head. I love that. And I think that resonates with a lot of the parents, right? I mean, I think you're right. It's not just saying, hey, taking your kids and pushing them to real estate or pushing them. It's it's understanding the the base functionality of money and what money is as a tool, right? And how does it get you, you know, the next investment or your next income or whatever, right? How, how can you get it to work for you? And then from there, you know, you expose the kids to it and then hopefully one of the kids land on it and they say, yeah, oh, wow, that that makes sense, right? And like when you were selling your story, what really kind of I thought was, you know, maybe your aha moment was, hey, you actually physically see yourself buying a building or a condo, right? And then you see, hey, this is where the money's kind of come out of, right? Sometimes we can just talk about it. and You can go to the rental houses all you want, but our kids will be like, what are we doing cleaning these random homes, right? But they don't see the, the full fruition of it, right? Until okay. they actually see it in play. And like you said, just talking about it and keeping them going on it until they get to an age where they can understand it, it'll finally land, right? I mean, it may not be real estate and it may be, but you know, it's just kind of understanding that. And that's the concept when it comes to money. So that's an awesome point you made there. That's really
1: good. Yeah. I did have a question. You started this as a single man, right? Like you bought, I'm assuming this because you just got out of college. When you got married, was that an easy transition to explain to her? Because I'm assuming you picked up more properties after marriage as well, right? And so was that like a huge learning curve for her? Because I feel like for you, you had the wherewithal and you saw it it as real life. And you mentioned earlier that your wife's family doesn't talk about money like that. And I don't know what their investments are if they're in real estate as well. But what did that look like as far as like, did you have to convince your wife to buy more properties or...
2: Or was that a struggle? Like unpack that for us a little bit. Yeah. So this is like the concept that I think is like a tough thing for a lot of marriages, money in general, everyone knows, you know, one one of the biggest reasons for conflict and all those things. And it's interesting, you know, my wife and I got married when we were fairly young yeah, you know, I think we met when she was 22 and I was maybe 24 or something like that. We got married at 25, 27, and 25. You're right. We bought a ton of properties together. Most of them have actually been together because once you become DINKs, right, double income, no kids, the D I N K, you become yeah. you know this powerhouse of profit, hopefully, right. And so we started pulling that. But you're right. She didn't know a lot about it. But the best thing about her was that she trusted me. And the mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why I think she trusted me because she saw my grind, you know, my like hustle, my like, you know, no matter what, I was going to rub two sticks together and make a dime out of it in some way. And sure. so, so part of it was just like, willing to do anything legal and moral to, to, to <laughs> sort of like make it work. One of the most important things is communicating to each other, but also having a plan. When when I say like, this is the plan, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it, we need to do this to do this, even if she didn't agree with it. And even if she didn't like it, uh, you know, to her credit, she trusted me with it and was willing to sort of let me go. And that's one of her best qualities, frankly, it's like, she will, regardless of her feelings, she always supported. That's one of those important things that I think people, spouses need to kind of really push each other to be supportive of each other, whether you agree with it or not, it should be founded in reason and logic, You shouldn't be if it's something where someone's chasing like a random investment, that's a different story. But right. part of it, like there was a little bit of track record that like, she knew my family was in real estate. She knew that we had some experience with it. So part of it was just like trusting and saying, Oh, I, I guess he knows. Little does she know that I was just making it all up on the fly and <laughs> just had, you know, confidence and, sure. and uh, a little bit of faith. But I do think
1: that the track record does help, right? Like even if you're like a newbie and you're trying to get into the game, and you have no experience in real estate, if you're good with your own money and you prove that to your spouse and you say, hey, like I'm a good steward of this, then it's easier for her or him to trust you for the next step, right? Like say, hey, we want to take a bigger step. Let's go on this journey together, right? Like it's very easy for people to hear some certain things. be like, Oh, it's easy because you have a supportive wife or a supportive husband. Like, and you know, to a certain extent, yeah, that is a, a nice little benefit, but there's background work that's happening. Like what you've done before marriage mattered the history that your dad generated for you mattered, right? Like all that stuff built you to be who you are to make it easier for her to trust you. Right. So all that stuff matters too. So like, if anyone's listening, I want them to realize like, Hey man, like you have to take ownership of yourself and say, Hey, I need to get my own personal finances straight to be able to prove it to the people around
2: me to make bigger steps. Right. You know, she saw me like I was so frugal about everything I did because I had a goal. You know, I never got a drink when we got lunch. You know, I never kind of cut meals into two because I didn't want to, you know, spend too much money on food or, you know, right. I was constantly trying to find ways to like save money and also make money. And so she saw that, you know, she she knew it wasn't just talking, right? Like I wasn't saying one thing and then buying the latest, you know, PlayStation, you know, or something right. like that. Like I didn't have any of it because I didn't want any of it. It didn't, break right. you know, my friends used to always make fun and and I still laugh about it now, but like, I don't even watch sports really. You know, like even in her Max, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be spending money on, on go, watching games or going to games or, or anything. Because my father used to say, if I ever watched a game on TV, he would say, They get paid to play, you don't get paid to watch. <laughs> right? So it's like, you know, it's like this like, you know, very thing. It's like, hey, they're getting paid to do their job, but you're not getting paid to watch them. So you better right. do your job. So it's kind of like to your point about building yourself up. I think that's a really incredible point. That I just, you know, definitely want to pause on because it is uh, such an important thing to, you have to, you know, um, walk the walk and not just talk the walk, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a huge advocate of that. As you were saying it, I started thinking like, there are people out there that struggle with how do you convince the person that's in your life? Because it is a big commitment. Like you said, like, any. Property you purchase, no matter how many you purchase, there's still that knot in your stomach of like, is this the right move? Am I dumping a bunch of money into a property that's going to be a bust? I mean, you know, you really don't know until you're in it. Well, you kind of, you know, you kind of know, but yeah. you still don't know, right? The feeling is still there, right? Right. Um. And so it's just something that you, we need to be mindful of, right? Because the people around us need something to believe in. It can't just be a blind. All right, man, you've been throwing away money on Jordans. So All right, guess let's buy a house and see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, there needs to be some right. type of precedent set.
0: And let's put it in the truth out there. You need money to make investments anyway. So if, if you're not, you know, it's, I'd be lying to you tell you, you if you have no money, I mean, you can't do stuff. I mean, you probably can, but still, you want that practice, right? It's how you manage yeah. your business, right? So if you can't manage your personal business, it's going to be tough managing, you know, an actual business, right? If we could touch a little bit, James, on your portfolio today, what does that look like? Are you, are you staying local to Houston? Are you focused in New York? If you want to dive into a deal, that'd be great. I mean, for the listeners, it's usually helpful if there's something in your mind. But yeah, just kind of just give us a little, little background on what the empire looks like today.
2: <laughs> it's uh, not quite an empire, but um, we do have multiple properties in, in multiple states. New York, Florida, and Texas is where we focus. I love New York. But although I am eventually do want to get the properties out of New York just because it's becoming less landlord-friendly, and so I, I do want to focus more in Florida and Texas, where it's a little more landlord uh, friendly when it comes to issues. But, you know, a couple of properties between homes and condos as well. So kind of uh, a mixed bag there. And actually recently in the last last week, we actually closed on our first commercial property. First Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you, Thanks. thank you. You know, still it's the, plenty of issues going on there. Can't get the power on for three weeks because there's like a commercial permit process. And But this is why, frankly, we did it because we had gotten success in single family homes and um, and apartment units. And um, we've never done a commercial property before. So we we'll want to try that and see where it goes. Certainly learning a lot, you know, diving into a deal. Actually, before you dive in, could I ask yeah. a question? You said single family homes,
1: apartment units, does that mean you have complex? Uh, apartment oh, complex. Yeah. Sorry,
2: no, it should be units within a complex. Units, units, within, units within
1: a complex. Within so single family homes, units within a complex. And when you say commercial, is it residential commercial, like a multifamily or like commercial, like a business moving in
2: there? Great um, question. Yeah, sorry, I, I should remember more clear. It is a, a business moving into like an office space. Wow.
1: Wow. That's awesome. I'm so um, interested in that because you know how you find a pocket and you just kind of run with it? Like I've been doing the single family home for a while and I'm like, I got to get into multifamily or I get into commercial, yes. but then, you know, the nervousness is still there, right? It's like, I I know this one element of real estate, but do I know enough to get into the next yes, step? So exactly. that's super cool that you're, that you're trying, man. Like you're, you're diving in there and, you know, figuring it out. That's awesome.
0: Before we move on also, you also mentioned New York's not landlord friendly. Can you dive in a little bit more, like what makes New York not as friendly versus kind of down here since you have exposure to both? Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: you know, one of the things, one of like the worst case scenarios for any person in real estate is, a tenant not paying their rent, you know, that's like the big one on the table. There are other there are plenty of other problems that can up, but a tenant not paying rent is one of the biggest things. Depending on how you structure a deal, you know, that rent is is covering the mortgage, it's covering insurance, yeah. it's covering in a whole a whole mess of things. And so, you know, it's important to get it rented as soon as possible and have it rented as often as possible, you know, every month all the time. And and one quick diversion I'll say is I know a ton of people who who do this thing where they price their unit really high or their house really high because they want like to get like, the top of the market. I never do that. I always put it like at least $150 lower than the average rate, maybe even $200 lower in the first year just to get someone in because it's better to have it rented at a lower rent than it is to have it empty for two months and then have it rented at a higher rent. You're not going to make your money back. The extra $200 that you might save, you lost in the first two months anyway. So um, now... After it's rented for a while and you can put in your lease to say, you have to give me 60 days notice and let me show the unit for at least 60 days before the person leaves. Then you can raise the rent because you have 60 days now to find someone, show the unit, find someone and things like that. So when you're first leasing out a property, get it in low. Your numbers should be managing that low number you know, whether you want to just put in low numbers in your estimates, or you just want to say, I'll make 11 months of rent instead of 12 as your calculation, highly recommend people going under as much as possible for the first year. And then when that tenant leaves, make sure that you have 60 days in the lease where you can show it and get some more property there. Yeah. And um, when it comes to the being friendly or not friendly, I remember even years ago, my father, we had a single family home in Queens Village in New York. I remember it was a yellow house and the tenants didn't pay rent for nine months. Wow, wow. And um, my father went to court and did all the proceedings, but it took nine months to eventually get them out. And um, they didn't pay for nine months. And this was like a house with like a big mortgage. It just wasn't like a small place. And, um, you know, my father, every single fence yeah. for nine months, you know, three kids. We have our own home. We have other right. properties. And um, I can't imagine the stress that he had just thinking about it. I get stressed out, you know, putting myself yes. in those shoes so um it just took that long to get someone out and the other thing in new york is when you check credit as far as i know like there was there wasn't a good way at the time maybe it changed now but well you couldn't see necessarily evictions you could see low credit maybe but you wouldn't see evictions but in florida and texas you can see their rental history you can Mm -hmm. see if they had an eviction or not you can obviously see their credit score these make it much easier to weed out bad tenants and collect good tenants and also texas is reasonable around bringing a case to court saying hey someone didn't pay their rent and again you know I'm someone who always wants to work with people I'm, I'm never looking to be the harsh landlord or the harsh but sure. sort of some saying ah hey, let's just kick everyone out as soon is as okay we, we we talk to people we make sure that we have an open line of communication and we keep connected with everyone but you know if it comes to where someone's truly taking advantage of you and literally taking food out of my kid's mouth then I have to do something and yeah. and, and I want to be in, in in a state where at least there's an option for me. I hope it doesn't go that route, but I but I want there to be an option. No, yeah, that, that's definitely fair. I
1: did have a question. So with multi-state, do you have property management, or are you like remotely
2: managing everything, or how, what does that look like? Yeah, so I am remotely managing everything. Oh wow! Um, yeah, I, I should have a property manager, but frankly, I I kind of sat down. I thought to myself, like the only thing I gain from giving them the ten percent because I have a network of trades that I can call. Sure. You know, I've built over time. be fair my the first property the one i mentioned earlier it's still actually i should say that one is actually still under property management just because it started under property management and Um, then never left but once uh, there was an issue they would send me the invoice of who they called and when the next property had an issue i would just call them myself and Um, i I realized over time i would just look at the they sent me the bill because i got to you know i wanted proof and everything right so they sent me the bill i would just note that number down and The next time there was an issue or property that wasn't property managed, I would just call that number. Yeah. So I would just keep on building a a sort of a portfolio of vendors. And one thing that people sort of don't realize is good is like, I keep in touch with these folks, even if I have no business for them, I'll still reach out to the guy that sells me secondhand appliances and say, Hey man, just wanted to wish you a happy Memorial day, you know, or (laughs) random stuff, you know, and um, just try to connect with people. Listen, you you know worst case it's annoying text that he can ignore or best case he goes like, Yeah, that guy still calls me every right now and then you know so sure, yeah. one of those things where i try my best to keep up relationships just because i think it's the right thing to do i think that people have a hard time screwing you over when they know you sure. when they have a relationship with you so they're not they're gonna you know potentially maybe not but you know potentially they might go all right let me work with this person right right so the
1: relationship with you and the vendor makes sense what do But you in the tent because like I'm shifting to property management because I mean not that my tenants are bad or anything like that, but I don't want the random calls, which and you know, to just to be fair, I never really get random calls, but whenever it does come or whenever an eviction has to happen or whatever, I immediately think I wish someone else could do this. So I guess was that not your experience with your tenants or, or, or was it just not even, it was a light load. Like, like maybe you did have
2: those things, but it's just, no, it's not a big deal. Yeah. I sort of like reviewed it in my head and I go, I pay the 10% or I get this phone call. What do you want to do? You know, kind of thing. Okay. And and then I sort of like made that equation to myself. And for now I just say, be lean, you know, I just like, even if I don't need to be lean, I just don't want to, you know, I, I tell this to my wife all the time and she gets a little mad, but I always say it's like, it's just like Rocky. It's like, I never want to get civilized. Like I never want to get civilized. Right. I always want to be hungry. I always want to be scrappy. And sure. I think part of that is like, I mean, this is my own personal thing. Now, some people, you know, there's, there's a counter argument, which is if you're busy being scrappy and hungry, you may be missing out on new deals and you may not have the the time to go to new deals. And that is a, a very valid alternate, you know, sort of point of view on this. But I sort of say like, no, I want to do it all. I want to look for new deals and I want to do this. And so it keeps me a little bit on the edge. And I think that's a good thing for me and my personality type. I don't recommend it for others, but, and I try my best. I used to get very stressed when I got that phone call. Yeah, Now I sort of like have gotten a little bit better about like not projecting that stress on my family and not... um. Doing it to myself, which is a real thing, by the way. You know, like you're stressed about this, and then you kind of yell at kids or you snap at someone. You know, controlling that is hard. I'm not perfect at it at all, but I think for me, it works. It keeps me on the right path. If that makes sense.
1: No, yeah, it's cool to hear this perspective because you know everyone has different angles of why they do what they do. So it's awesome to hear, like, hey, I have the bandwidth to do it all. I could. Acquire more properties. I could also
2: manage the ones I have, right? Like, I mean, that's that's awesome to hear. That's good stuff. On Instagram, you just see all this like, oh, it's so easy. I'm just doing nothing. I have the property manager. I have the property manager do it. Yeah. And it's like this sort of like concept that people think it's like, oh, you know, it's like no stress. But I feel like there are people, you have to be real and say like, no, there is stress. When you get that phone right. call, there is 100% stress, you know? And yeah. when you, someone's fixing your stuff and they're in another state, you're like, did it get fixed? I don't, I don't know, you know? But yeah. then you learn how to get, you learn how to deal with that. You learn sure. how to give, make yourself comfortable by taking before pictures and after pictures, by right. you know making sure there's a warranty, by making sure you're not using a company that's going to leave or disappear overnight. Right. You know, there's a lot of reasons why. And I use the same company every time. So they know that I have a record with them. They know I'm going to pay them and all those reasons.
0: I, I feel the same way. To this day, when I get a call, it's always there's something that just makes my, race, my heart race for sure. What is it this time? You know, yeah. but you know, t- to your point, like I said, it's it's what you can tolerate and what you in your life you can handle at the time, right? Because really, even if you get a property manager, you're paying them x amount of dollars to handle, let's just say five calls a year. You're still gonna have to pay them to fix all the issues, right? And it's just they're just fielding the call, right? And yeah, and it it can it just depends on where you are in your life. If you're on your way to hundred units, then you know I don't know. If yeah, the probability you're about to get a call maybe a little bit higher, right? So it's yeah. it's, it's kind of scaled, but. Just to pivot back, if you want, do you mind diving into maybe that first deal? What that oh, looks yeah. like numbers wise? I know it's a condo, if I believe. that you got oh, to purchase? I mean right? that was.
2: I, I won't do that one just because it was like such a clean. It's like one of those things that I hate to tell because it paints this rosy picture. Oh um, sure. like, yeah Yeah, you know, don't do like that bought one. Bought <laughs> it for thirty five thousand. You know, yeah. it's worth like hundred and fifty now. Maybe not in, th- not in this market. <laughs> yeah. A recent deal that we actually last so. Like my wife and I, one of our goals was to try to do one piece of real estate every year, uh, which I think is a very attainable goal. Assuming that you just have to put down the down payment amount, we're not buying in cash, you know, everything's mortgaged. But the idea is that we, we try to save a down payment's worth every year. So this year was a commercial property. Last year was a residential single-family home in Fresno. And for folks who are, who are listening, Fresno is um, near... Like Missouri City and in, in, in Houston and just after Fresno is Manville and Alvin and some of these and Pearland I, I believe I'm still learning the areas here actually but uh, one of the reasons by the way that I looked in Fresno was because you know purely by some experience and a little bit of bed a little bit of gambling which is you know Missouri City is a very nice area that's like very built out and being built out and then next to that is Fresno which was like kind of built up And then there's manville and alvin which is like blowing up in terms of investment when it comes to commercial investments like stores and restaurants popping up and there's this area in between which is fresno and so you know being new here i just sort of kind of looking through the areas and the prices were just lower in fresno and so my hypothesis is that it's being squeezed by these upper middle class areas Mm-hmm. In between and just by proximity, it should also rise in value. And so far it's been paying off, but we'll see. But the Fresno deal, this was last year, at the beginning of last year. So it's a different market than, than what we're in now in, in May of 23, but still like a bit of a tough market. It was on the market for about maybe 25 days. It actually had a deal. The financing fell through for the buyer. And so it just popped up on one of the one of the safe searches I had. They were asking memory serves you right. I think they were asking 315. And then so I so you know, we talked to them, we said, what are the opportunities here? What are the, what are the chances for the price and all those things? Eventually, they had, you know, talking to the agent, and I was pushing agents to kind of get as much information as possible, do as little talking, and do as much listening as you can. And eventually, they had said that they were willing to do three of five. And so we said, all right, that's, you know, not terrible for the area. I said, from my perspective, it was a four-bedroom, two and a half bathroom house, just under two thousand. Oh no, it was actually uh, twenty-four hundred square feet, so oh. not a small house. It was a corner property, which I'm super fan of, but but I'm no, not superstitious either. And so, what I did was went in at that price, and then two things that I always try to do when it comes to buying real estate. One is I try to get a a longer option period. So if I can get seven days or 10 days, if I can, I try to do that. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do it is is, um, it's a little sneaky, but it has worked for me, which is I only do the inspection towards the end of the option period. So if it's a seven day option period, I do the inspection on day five or day six. Mm -hmm. I never do it on day one. I try to wait as long as possible. And then I do it on day five. And then as soon as I get that report, I immediately then go back to the seller and I say, hey, here are the following things that you have to give me a credit on, or you have to fix. And depending on the person, they may fix it. They may they may give you a credit. But the reason why I push to the end is I want them to feel like the house is sold. I want them um, to tell their mom and tell them, hey, mom, I did it. I sold that house. Hey, hey, to their friends. Oh yeah, I'm moving. You know, right. hey, I want them to have that emotional disconnection so that when I start asking for concessions, they've spent a lot of time boiling in that feeling of like oh this is gonna go and so wow, that's that at the end <laughs> listen it may not work some people may not have those feelings but frankly most people do homes are very sure. emotional i'm not buying from a corporation i'm not i'm yeah. not buying from like you know um, open door or something like that i'm buying from a person right so i want them right. to have that feeling and so when they finally have all that out the last minute when they think everything's gonna go because they haven't heard from me I bring up a list, the laundry list of things.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And in this case, they were willing to give me a bunch of concessions in terms of dollars. So when it came back to the different items, I think we got something like $13,000 off for various things. And the main thing that when I look for an inspection report, and I've kind of looked at so many homes, I feel like, you know, I could do some inspection. Not really, though. I always hire someone and I recommend hiring someone is um, I always look at things that, any reasonable buyer would complain about. So I don't complain if there's like something, you know, paint is something off or something like that because, you know, I can change that that's small. But I do look at the windows, the plumbing, the roof, you know, anything that's like a major item that any person would say. And then I go to the other side and I say, listen, like I'm bringing this up and any inspector is going to find it. You're going to have to do this with anyone who buys this. You might as well do it with me because now we're at the end of of our line here, right? So they have more to lose than I do. So at that point, I pushed them on that. So that was another $13,000 off the price there. Yeah. And then it did appraise accordingly. So... If the appraisal doesn't come in, then I'll, I'll certainly get them there if I can. In this case, it was fine. The other area where I squeezed out a little money and I, I'm surprised more people don't talk about this or do this. And I say this because I was a licensed real estate agent in New York for years. I need to get my license here. I'm studying right now. But the agent that I work with knows very clearly that I'm expecting to get some portion of their commission, you know, because frankly, I found the home, even if yeah. they found it, I don't care. In the end, I always want to remind people, you're the one with the money. So you're the one with the power, you know, you're the one walking in with a 25% down payment. You're the one with the power. So start throwing your weight around. And so, you know, I'll talk to the agent and say, listen, I need some of your commission back. And some agents are cool with it. Some are not, which I totally get and understand as an agent myself, you know, I could see both sides of that equation, but I only work with an agent who's willing and knows Now, to be fair to them, I'm doing a lot of the work. They're not doing some of it, right? I'm finding the homes. They're finding the homes. We're kind of working together. And this right. one, I found it myself also, but I make sure to get a certain percentage back from them. That adds another, you know, decent thousands of dollars off the price. Right. And so when you look at the final cost for me, it's well under the 305 that I started with, right? It's, it's nice. you know, almost $20,000 less than that. So now I have this like, say, so I'm walking into the deal. Hopefully I'm doing all my numbers on I'm doing all my calculations on 305. But when I actually look at the closing costs, I'm hoping that I'm under there, and that's always sure. my goal. Because you know it, it's important to say, like most of the money in real estate is made on the buying side. If you're buying a great deal, that's where you're getting a great opportunity. You're making it on the selling side if you sell it for appreciation, all those things. But it, it all happens at the buying side first. You buy it for a great deal, and then it appreciates even better for you. So I always say you got to squeeze out every penny when it comes to the buying side, because, you know, that's where you have the most opportunity and you can throw your weight around. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're walking in with that big down payment. Work it, work it, work it, and make sure you work with everyone with it, you know, with their mission and with their sort of you know inclusion. But to be fair for the agent, the agent showed me, you know, five houses and made that much money on the closing that they did maybe three hours of work. Right. right? So I don't feel bad. They don't feel bad. Everyone's sort of happy. Right. But I at that moment, I need that money more than they do. <laughs> yeah,
1: to piggyback on that, so where do you typically get your deals? Is it all on market or are you doing any wholesalers or like what are you doing? Mainly
2: it's been on market. I do look at wholesale deals and um, I do, you know, I would love to get into one, but I just haven't found the right one. There was one actually recently in Fresno that looked like a killer deal, actually,
0: mm. but
2: you know, going back to communication with spouses, like my wife told me specifically, no more houses this year. So I said, about I'm <laughs> passing on that one. <laughs> sure, that's fair. That's fair.
0: Yeah. What are you renting that for? And what's, oh, your, yeah. Sorry. what's your monthly note, if you don't mind? Just just so we can see, are you making like cash on it or um, yeah, what's, yeah. what's that kind of look like?
2: Yeah, so the rent for that unit is 2200 So it's a pretty good thing. I didn't come back with the numbers, but my cost is slightly over half of that so I'm probably somewhere around like 14 1500 all you know for the mortgage the insurance the taxes wow um you know things like that I'm somewhere around there
0: that's really good i mean it's, yeah, that's so a, that's it's, a really good cash it's, on it's cash, different cash different right rock, yeah. yeah if it's including your insurance and mortgage and taxes and all that yeah that's a really good deal if it panned out i ben you got it early in last year right so interest rates were pretty pretty rock interest rates
2: were just it was just a sin not to buy, you know? So it was just like, I had to do something. And that one, I think that one came in at um, under 3% that mortgage. So it was wow, just like, wow. oh my God, just one of, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, you know, right. one of those things I know for everyone, everyone listening who doesn't understand when you get into real estate, you'll understand, you know, that yeah, was, yeah. that was it's one such of those a things deal. where I wish I bought more. That was my only regret.
0: Well, cool. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that one with us. As we kind of wind down, what's the next three years or one year, or what does that look for, like for James and like, in the real estate business, whatever it is, right? Like, I mean, what's that look like for you?
2: You know, as I think about the future, a lot of it is going to be, I do want to keep growing and moving as much as I can. This commercial business, I feel like um, I'm sort of focused on this right now. And, and, you know, I kind of want to kill what's in front of me and just focus on that. And after I get a little comfortable with this and get this moving along, then uh, I really want to start focusing on just the next deal. You know, not thinking too far ahead, but just focusing on sort of what's in front of me. I do really want to focus on making sure that like I'm not chasing the dream for like living the dream in some way. And so I, you know, spending time with like my family and and sure. focusing on on getting as much as I can hands off and and do some of those things I, I would like to do to some degree. But um, you know, this is what I enjoy. You know, this is something that I think is like. The concept of never being comfortable is like the most important thing that I sort of keep thinking about. So when you say planning, it's like uh, for the next three to five years, to me, that's like I'm planning because I want to be more comfortable. I want to set up something. But for me, it's like, no, I'm not thinking about that. I just want to kill everything in front of me for as long as I can. And then... Wind it down. One thing I have said to, to friends and family is like over time. Don't get me wrong. There is a lot of stress in real estate, and I, I used to work on, on Wall Street and financial services for a long time before. Now I'm in healthcare, which is what I do during the day. But one of the most important things when it comes to financial planning is uncomplicating your life as you get older. And so, one of the most important things that I want to do, maybe longer than two, you know, three to five years, maybe more ten years and fifteen years, is I do want to start liquidating some of this real estate, putting oh. it into actual cash and just having that money work for me, just, you know, in, in a very safe sort of thing, because over time, money and properties complicate everything as you, you don't know what's going to happen to you in the future. I don't want my, you know, something happened to my family, if something happens to me and then my family has to deal with it. My kids are, may not be ready for that. My wife may not be ready for that. And so I think it's my responsibility to reasonably wind down and uncomplicate my our finances to a place where it's just purely automatic. They have something to work with but they're sort of like a float they just have like a little bit of float they can do what they want with it from there and then you know my my family will have to decide how they want to do it but uh, i think that's sort of like a gift i can give to them of not giving them necessarily a burden i have the heart and drive for it but that doesn't mean that they will i hope they do and i'm gonna work very diligently and intentionally to give them that drive every day. And, Listen, I say that, but if my son or daughter says, don't sell it, please give it to me. Sure. I'll manage it. I'll be so happy.
1: So is the idea that, because you're saying wind down, that's more of a courtesy to your family in case they don't want the burden. Right. But, but you actually see it as like, no, hold it for as long as you can. Okay. You still see that as a benefit, right? To hold. Oh, it as long as yeah, can, right? I want to hold
2: okay. it as long as I can, but yeah, I also no. think at certain age levels, you sort of have to like, you know, come, to that sort of check of like hey i'm not gonna live forever let me and you don't know what's gonna happen right so so like you you kind of want to like plan ahead
1: no that's fair i i've never heard it that way it's actually very insightful for me to hear because in my mind i'm thinking buy until you die and then let the kids you know like and, and build a system around it to where they don't have to really manage it but at the same time there are burdens like you said like it's still property, and it's going to be in their yeah. names, in a company name that they own, and blah blah yeah.
2: blah. So th- there's a lot of things to figure that's, out, but yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome. And even in spouse like money can you know co- cause divides in spouses, and it can also cause divides in your children, right? If you have multiple sure. kids, and they have to agree on what to do with it. One may want to sell it, but one may want to keep it. Then right. well, then who's the tiebreaker there? If you're not around, yeah. you know, yeah. and do you want to put that on your spouse? You know, now they're the bad guy, the good guy. Yeah. To me, it seems like the cleanest thing is to like uncomplicate you know, just uncomplicated, put it in a fixed rate annuity, let it pay you every month. And, you know, not me, but if you have millions of dollars at 4%, 5% annuity, that's a healthy salary that you can live on and and sort of enjoy. So um, that's sort of a great plan. Yeah, that's a really good plan. That's awesome.
1: Just to throw it out there, if you had to start all over, what would it look like? Would it look like the same trajectory or,
2: you know, you have the knowledge you have, but none of the houses or anything like that. What would you do? I think one of the most important things for, for someone listening or watching, I think like there's two things, right? One is like educating yourself is the number one thing. And, you know, hopefully if someone's listening or watching this, like you're on the right track, like you're doing the right thing, which is you are getting educated, putting, investing in yourself is the one of the most important things. And I think like that needs to become an an obsession. And um, it sort of, you know, has become an obsession to me when it comes to just, I just want to know what's out there. I, I, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I looked into buying art because art has art like outperformed the stock market every year for the last 10 years. You know, I didn't know that, but then, you know, it's like, uh, and I may not buy art, you know, art or something like that, because it's not for me, but I just want to know what's out there because I just become obsessed with like learning the topics. And I think the biggest thing people can do is learn, 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 learn as much as you can invest in yourself by books. Like YouTube university is, is amazing, you know? And, um, you know, that is one of the most important things that I would say. The second thing is, you know, going back to how we started, which is like, you got to like, put your risk on the table and hit it with a hammer and yeah. take a little bit of risk. You know, one of the things that I, when you start learning about real estate, you, you realize very quickly that you need to talk to people about real estate and become, fine people that are kind of in it or doing it. And so I would say it's like, start the conversation with your own family, with your own friend group, find people who are into it if people are not in your friend group who are into it, you know, find other groups of friends that you can also meet with. There's real estate meetups and Facebook groups, just like start getting into the lingo, learning all the acronyms, learning all the little sayings and things. I think that's important. When you have people you can talk to about it, you sort of start reducing your fear, right? You know, there's like two types of fear that I think humans have. One is like, I'm scared to get on a bicycle because I might fall. And the other fear is like, I shouldn't touch the hot stove because it's going to burn me. Right. That fear is still good. You should keep that one. But the other one, the more you start talking to people, you start getting more confident to say, all right, let me get on that bicycle and see what I can do. So I think educating yourself, talking to people around it, I think are the two critical things and then just doing it, knowing that, you know, taking that risk is somewhat, I think is the hardest thing. People just don't want to do the work and the risk and, um, you know, that's the two things you got to break. You got to realize that, like, you got to get on the phone and have these really uncomfortable conversations with people you don't know. Right? You know, I interview every tenant over the phone. and I'll, I talk to them, and I'm trying to well, gauge. I'm, I'm really talking to them. They're like, "Hey, so you're? I, I see the applicant. I see your credit score. You know, I ask questions. I know the answer to already because we did a background check. But right. I just want to hear how they answer it. You sure. know, I think some of those things are, are so important. That's what I would do if I was starting again. You know, I would I would make the network and just study. But eventually, you just got to jump with both feet in.
0: I couldn't echo everything you said. I think it's more just, you know, if you've done enough work on the research and studying side, you should feel really confident to pull that risk, right? Of course, the first one's going to be hard, right? It's just a matter of, if you've done your due diligence and you've done enough research and study, at some point it's gonna plateau, right? Like there's only so much you can learn without actually applying Literally. it, right? Yeah. And so you hit all the nails on on the head, and it's just a matter of again, for those that are on that are listening, you know, it's a risk, but as long as you calculate it properly and do your numbers right, you do your research, you know, it's a risk like anything else, but I think it's a more safer risk than a lot a lot of things that we do, right? So great great advice.
1: Yeah, no to echo what everyone just said, I mean, like, I totally agree with all of it, man. Like just being around this podcast was birthed out of that idea. Like yeah. Sidju and I would just kick it and we just hang out and we start talking about real estate because those are, you know, there's not a lot of people around us that do it that we know of at least. Right. And as we started having conversations about it, we said, Hey, let's do this podcast. And then we started realizing, Oh, A lot of other people around us are doing it, but there needed to be some type of platform to say, hey, let's all come together and talk about this. Right. Right. So I'm all about it because like when you're around it, you just you get more and more confident. And I think that's what you need to move forward.
2: Yes, absolutely. Well,
0: well, thank you so much, James. Dude, We got so many nuggets out of this one. This is a really good episode, I think, just even for us. But I know for sure our listeners, too, but. You know, if you want to spot off uh, Instagram handle or how anybody can get a hold of you, feel free to, or we can definitely put it in the show notes as well. Yeah,
2: actually, I'm I'm actually really proud. Recently, I did something that I started for my talking about our kids, um, writing stuff down, some of the things that I think about this. And I actually wrote um, a book. It's called um, uh, Personal Finance Made Practical. It's available on Amazon. So if you search either my name, oh, <laughs> it looks like. That. It's good, man. It's really good. Nice. Um, so, yeah, so if you happen to be on Amazon, which I know you are, um, check out the book. It's called <laughs> Personal Finance Made Practical. It's a very easy read. One of the things I try to do with it was write it in very clear language, very simple language. Frankly, I wrote it for high school kids, college kids, folks who just don't need to get into the details right now. I feel like there's a lot of books that either are yelling at the younger generation for buying too many lattes, <laughs> or there's <laughs> other books that are like more like textbooks. And then there are other books that say like, oh, you're so dumb. This is so easy. And yeah. there's no book to just talk to people about like very practical, reasonable. You know, I, I say in the book, it's like, "I'm you're not going to be a millionaire reading this book. It's just to make your life a little bit better. If I can comment, because like I, I didn't finish the
1: whole thing. I'm still reading through it. It is an easy read and it's more mindset. It's trying to get, you know, readjust because I, I feel like the, even if the world doesn't tell us, we just kind of assume this is the way the ball rolls. And yes. it's not always true. Right. And we need to change our mindset to say, no, this is how money works and you can make it work this way. You can make it work that way, but we really just have to open your mind to it. Right. And so I feel like your book does a really good job so far. What I've read, I'm like, okay, cool, man. It's like, like you said, it's very easy to read. And like, if you're, if you're on Amazon, you're looking for a book, definitely uh, check
0: it out. Awesome, man. That's awesome. Accomplishment, James. Thanks again. And uh, yeah, go out and get his book. Hopefully you guys have been listening and, um, Thanks again, James. I appreciate the time. Thanks again.
1: I had a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. For everyone that's still watching, thank you for sticking around for this long. We really appreciate you. If you're here, share this podcast with your friends. Click the like button. Subscribe. Do all the things that people tell you to do, man. Like, We really appreciate it. More than all of that, uh, comment. Wherever you're watching this, comment. We want to hear your thoughts because we don't want it to be just like a us talking to you. We want it to be a community. And, have a conversation so uh, let us know what you think thanks for clicking thanks for watching james once again thank you for being on the show you are a wealth of knowledge hopefully we can have you back once the commercial property gets you know stabilized and we can talk about that next time so well, have to say um that, yeah. <laughs> awesome man well until next time we'll catch y'all later
0: bye guys thanks for listening to guts and grind with siju and Sajin. be sure to tune in next time